we work in 20-day cycles, and each 20-day cycle includes a little bit of everything year-round. So we're doing speed work year-round, we're doing threshold running, we're doing long runs, we're doing hill repeats. And then through research, we've kind of come to understand that your body, it takes about 20 days for your body to kind of adapt to new stress levels. So then every fourth week, after each cycle, we take a down week. And that just kind of allows your body to absorb the work. And we just kind of keep building, building, building. And Jack Daniels has this quote. I can't remember it um, to the T, but basically the gist of it is like, do the least amount of work possible for the best possible result. So I think a lot of like high school coaches and, and coaches in general, like they have their guys run 70 to 80 miles a week when you can do 50 and get the same, if not better result. So I really try to think of it as like consistency over everything. So if I can keep these kids healthy for 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, that's going to get them to be like their best possible self. This episode of Life in Stride is brought to you by Mason Construction in Crestwood, Kentucky, building in all the premier neighborhoods in the Louisville area. Mason Construction has a deep list of talented tradesmen who build quickly but don't sacrifice quality. Mason has been building for over 30 years custom homes and has an incredible track record of service and reliability. Mason Construction can build you your dream home. What do you want in your dream home? Let's picture your kitchen. How about a giant island that you can sit all your kids and family around during major holidays? A white quartz top and white barber cabinets handcrafted, a farmhouse sink, and stainless steel GE appliances. And how about an oak floor? Beautiful. The list goes on, and you can have it all in your dream home, built by Mason Construction. Call Adair today at the front desk at 502-241-6588 to get a tour of your forever home by Mason Construction today. Yo, everybody, welcome back to Life in Stride. We have a special guest today, Mr. Thomas Cave. Um, we are been super excited to have him on. Uh, we've been talking about it for a while and uh, finally linked up. And four of us are going to interview him about his life, his uh, journey in running, his journey in coaching, what he's doing now and future goals and all that good stuff. Um, just a quick intro into thomas's uh past with running he's a 152 800 and a 412 miler 111 half and a 233 marathon definitely a fast guy looking forward to getting into all that um and now okay we're yeah he uh he is currently the coach at thompson training in louisville kentucky um and a lot more than just louisville regionally and um but uh and uh coach at trinity um, so let's, let's dive in boys. Um, Justin, what do you hey, got? I'm on Thomas. Start. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. Um, I'm really excited and really enjoyed the the previous podcast episodes. You guys are crushing it and yeah, I'm honored to be one of your guests. Honored First. to have you, man. Welcome. Yeah. You are yeah. a highly, highly requested guest. Many people wanted to, uh, to hear from you and Jacob briefly touched on Thompson training, but. We'll, we'll get the full scoop on on this one for all you listeners. Yeah, look, yeah, this has been a long time coming. It's really excited, Thomas. And like I told Jacob on his episode, thanks for what you're doing locally, but also nationally. It's been fun to, on Instagram Reel, for those who don't follow Thompson Training, just to see, it seems like every week, new Kentucky middle school PR, new Kentucky high school PR from one of the Thompson Training kids. I know it's happening nationally as well. So uh, looking forward to the day that one of my kids asks to be a Thompson Training uh, athlete so hopefully coming in here soon but before we talk thompson training let's talk about your illustrious career thomas talk about how, how you got into running yeah for sure so i grew up in the south end of louisville so my parents bought a house on southern parkway and that's kind of like the south end mecca of running so you have air force park right there and southern parkway uh, and yeah from my early age i always remember like my mom waking up in the morning and going for her six to eight mile run every day and then my dad would get home from work and go for the same five mile run down southern parkway so from an early age i was around the sport um so when i got to the third grade and cross-country signups uh were happening it was kind of understood like hey son you have to go sign up for cross-country and try this thing out uh and yeah so i signed up for cross-country in third grade and yeah one of my first races was the st edwards invite 
which still a meet that happens every year. It's one of the like the big local elementary races, and I remember I I ran that race and uh, actually won that race, and yeah. So from my early age, I kind of knew like, hey, you have a talent, and it's fun, and just really enjoyed it. So definitely got into it through my parents, and then kind of as I progressed through elementary school and the middle school, I started taking it more seriously. So I joined the same athletic running club that Chris did. So Derby City Athletic Club back in the day was kind of the premier running club. And through that, I kind of met, you know, Chris and Zach Bevan and Jacob Thompson, Trey Tescanyard. Uh, so a lot of big names. And yeah, we went to like AAU Nationals every year. And I think a few years we actually won, which was kind of rare for Kentucky to be competitive on the national stage. Yep. So yeah, I was taking it really serious through middle school. I even started working at Swag Sports Shoes as an eighth grader. So Swag Hartel hired me when I was like 13 or 14 years old. So that was a great experience to kind of also have a job in running where you were kind of around the sport through work also. And then, yeah, it kind of came time for me to shadow all the local high schools. And I ended up going to St. X. So did your parents, just backing up, did they run collegiately or were they high school runners or what's their background? No, so my dad was a really good baseball player. He was actually all region um, in high school. He went to uh, Manual High School, and my mom was a good basketball player. So they were both athletic growing up, but kind of got into the sport at a later age. And, yeah, they were both fairly good at it. They would, you know, run the Triple Crown every year, run the half marathon. Um, but, no, they did not run collegiately or anything. So awesome. So when you went to the middle school club team, the AAU team, what did you say the name of it is again? So it's Derby City Athletic Club. Derby City Athletic Club. That- yeah, same club that Chris ran for, and back then it was kind of like that was the premier club, and now there's quite a few options. So Derby City's still around, Thompson Training, obviously we have our thing rolling. Um, but back then, kind of yeah. all the kids that took it seriously joined Derby City. So what did you learn at Derby City to elevate your game and to be competitive? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I learned, and this helps me with coaching, is it's okay to take it really seriously from a young age. I think a lot of times, like even with Thompson Training, we – maybe sometimes get the reputation that, hey, like you're burning these kids out. But, you know, the kids that we work with are very passionate. And I guess what Derby City did, Derby City did for me was they kind of got me into a spot where I learned a lot about myself as a runner and also about the sport. And that allowed me to show up to St. X confident and ready to go from day one. And that's still the same thing that I tell all the kids that I coach that are like fourth through eighth grade is, yes, we want you to be fast now and have a successful middle school career. But Really, we're trying to get you ready for the high school level and um, being able to show up and compete from from day one. Do you think that's? Do you think that set you on a trajectory? You were with faster runners. You were competing at a higher level. You think it set you on a trajectory to be as successful as a career as you've had so far? Yeah, for sure. I think just being around fast kids um, and being around friends that take it just as serious as you um, definitely kind of. You know, the saying iron sharpens iron. I kind of experienced that from a young age and um, that kind of carried over St. X. And, you know, I think Derby City, when I shadowed St. X, I kind of knew like, hey, Zach Bevan's already there. Uh, me and Connor Shirak, if we both go to St. X, and chances are Max Mudd and Chris Drew will also go to St. X. Uh, so, yeah, I think Derby City definitely kind of was a great introduction to the sport and kind of showed me like, hey, if you stick with this, you can kind of go on to achieve big things. Um, and yeah, it's kind of being like a part of some of those AAU national championship teams that kind of taught me from a young age also that individual accomplishments are really cool, but when you can share an accomplishment as a team, it's just so much more fun. And that's kind of what Derby City did for me. I love what you said about, um, it's okay to take it seriously at a young age. I was in competitive swimming, uh, at like the 12, 13, 14 year old range and, I really, really got burnt out quick. Um, so I think I, I'm sure that you and Jacob have to ride the fine line with young kids of like not burning them out. Cause especially because they're just, just simply just not mature, which is fine that they can't help that. But you have to, I feel like you all probably have to ride that fine line. Is that correct? On for sure. An hour versus having fun, but, and also taking it seriously. Yeah. I think like if you came to a, Thompson training middle school or elementary school practice versus like a Thompson training private lesson with a high school kid. It'd be two different environments. We really try to have the kids show up and, you know, they need to like show up ready to work hard. But yeah, we try to make it more fun and 
just teach them about the different training types, different training systems that we do. And, um, yeah, I mean, those kids are really educated and, uh, like Millie Wong, who's a 13 year old girl, she's already ran five flat for the mile. And so, yeah, we have a lot of talented kids, but we always try to think long-term with those kids and kind of, like I said, get them ready for high school. Yeah. Thomas, I know this, we're jumping ahead here by asking this, but are there any tells, you know, in that middle school, elementary school age where they do look like, okay, that there's a little more pressure here. Maybe it's coming from parents. Maybe it's something you're doing unintentionally. Are there any tells you see? And then what do you do if you're noticing a kid that is maybe over that pressure line that you'd like to see? Yeah, it's a common thing. You know, I think a lot of times people reach out to us, parents that kind of, you know, see potential in their kid, which I think every parent does, and they want their kid to be like the next big thing. But I think it does help that Jacob, Bailey, and I kind of started running in the third grade so we can kind of take a step back with those parents and the kid and say like, hey, like, it's not happening right now, but you should focus on the process. And again, we're trying to get you ready to be really good as a high school runner. Um, And yeah, the good thing about like middle school and high school racing is say if they do have a bad race, you can kind of tell them like, that's okay. Like you can have another chance in two weeks, you know, Uh, where if you're coaching an adult or like Jacob with his marathon, like you can't race next weekend, you know? So I think there's a lot more pressure with like the marathon distance, but for most high school racing and grade school racing, it's kind of more of like, it's not the end of the world. You can take some things away from this race and learn from it and try again next time out. Um, for, for context, before we kind of touch on high school, what, what were your PRs when you were done with middle school, like in the mile? And I don't know if you ran the two mile. Yeah. So in, in high, middle school, I ran 459 in the mile. And back then that was kind of like the standard, like if you broke five in, in eighth grade, like that was kind of like the benchmark of like, Hey, you could go on and be pretty good. Nowadays, like there's 20 to 25 kids in the state of Kentucky that break five every year. So it's not that impressive anymore. It's still impressive, but back then that was kind of like the, the benchmark. And then in the 800, I think I ran 215, which was pretty good. Um, so yeah, I was a 215, 800 guy, 459 miler. And then I think I broke 10 a few times in the 3K. So kind of similar to you, Chris. I think, you know, our, I think as we kind of go through this episode, there will be a lot of, a lot of similarities between the two of us. Yeah, I think um, part of the, you know, people we just posted in my episodes, um, a lot of my running career has been following Thomas. Like, he goes to St. X, and then he goes to UofL, and then he transfers to Bellarmine, and then I transfer to Bellarmine. So um, just a, a lot of um, a lot of following Thomas in, in our running careers. Streak, is this an announcement you're retiring from Rawlings and going to Thompson training? I'm just uh, kidding, Rawlings group. <laughs> I have no coaching experience, so uh, I don't think that's the play at the moment. But I do enjoy being a great coach. Streak. Yeah, you would be, Scotty. You want to leave Mike and uh, be my first trial run? Then is that what you're saying? No, I'll take you to hey. the promised land, Scotty. I'm deep in with Mike. We're we're, <laughs> we're we're digging back in the cave, though. Back in the cave. So yeah, okay. Yeah. Let's. Does Mike coach all of you? All of us. Are you all of us? Streak. Streak, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Cool. Yep, yep. Sorry, can't have us, Thomas. Um, the uh, the question we, we love asking guests and one another is, was there a moment or at what point did you fall in love with running? Yeah, I mean, I think even thinking back to like the third grade, I always loved it. Um, and even just like reflecting sometimes, like when I'm in, in the office, like working on schedules or watching past races, like I'm very thankful for what running has done for me um you know i think back to like my best friends now like all of them were either at saint x or trinity or holy cross um back when i was running in high school and then you know i even met my wife bailey um through running so we met in high school and started dating and yeah so if i never got into the sport and never like learned to love it my life would be totally different so it's crazy to think about but like running's definitely changed my life for the better and um yeah, I would say that I loved it right away. You know, I think in third grade when you're winning races, it's hard not to like that. You know, um, it's a lot of fun beating people. And the competitive st- the competitive part of it was kind of what always drew me in. And then as I get older, just, you know, even today when I go out and jog 16 miles, like I just feel so much better afterwards. And I'm a lot better of a person if I'm active in the sport, I would say. Yeah. So um, I guess to cap, or as we uh, move on, we talked about your middle school times and, 
I know you were successful in high school because I was uh, your teammate. Um, I, there is, you know, we, we can touch on what your PRs were in high school. Um, there's one race I want to talk about and then our coach some too because I think he had a big influence on where you are now. Yeah. I want to talk about the 4 by 800 at the state meet and you're going to have to remind me what year that was. Um, but, and I don't know if you guys know about this race. It, it may be one of the most epic, it may be the best race all time in Kentucky State track history. Um, so I, I'll kind of provide some baseline here. We had a heated rivalry with Butler High School this year. They're a school in kind of the south end of Louisville. And um, they had a superstar 800-meter runner. His name was Trey Kennard. Um, Thomas mentioned his name earlier. He ran like 148, I want to say, in the 800 in high school. Um, yep. Amazing athlete. And he was the anchor for their 4x8 team. And we had a good 4x8 team, too. And Thomas was our anchor. He was, um, you know, running 152, 153, um, something like that. And um, so the 4 by 8 at the state meet comes down, and Thomas has a pretty good lead on Tretez, who is their anchor, like maybe five, six seconds. And then I'll, I'll let Thomas maybe describe what happened that, if you want to break down, maybe both of your legs, Thomas. Yeah, not for sure. So, yeah, you know, when I reflect back to my high school career, I always struggled in cross country. So I, um, I made the top seven my senior year, but I would say like my high school cross country career did not go to plan, but I always found success on the track. So kind of, I, I guess I hung my hat in high school on anchoring the four bite. So we won my junior and senior year. And like Chris mentioned, my junior year, we were kind of building towards the state meet. And it was one of those things that we never raced about there in the regular season, but like we would run a really fast time and then they would go to a random meet and run a fast time. And it was kind of all building up to the state meet. And yeah, like looking back at it, they had Pat Gregor, Pat Gregory on the leadoff leg. It was, you know, he went on to be a four flat miler. They had Alan Matthews, who was really good. And then ultimately they had Trey Tess anchoring it. So Going into that, it was very intimidating because I kind of knew, like, hey, I'm going to have a lead against this kid who can run 148, which I can't run 148. Um, but, yeah, I, I got the stick with, like, a five-second lead, and I wasn't really counting, like, how much I had on him. I just knew that it was going to be kind of close, so I went out, and he caught me in the first 200 meters. So at that point, he caught me and then, like, went right past me, and I thought in the back of my head, like, man, this race is over, but... The team's relying on me. Coach Bailey's in the stands relying on me. So I'm just going to stay with the boss I can. So I kind of just followed him. And it was a really fast last 600. But with, you know, 80 yards left, I kind of went past him. And even when I went past him, I kind of thought, like, he's going to have another gear. And, you know, at least I made it close. But he didn't respond. And I ended up beating him. And, yeah, I mean, that was super exciting. I think everybody in the stands thought that, like, it was over. But uh, I was able to pull it off and... I think that's just a good, like, story of, like, that was a true team effort. Like, those guys knew that, hey, we have to give Thomas a lead to have a chance, and they really ran hard and put me in a good spot. And kind of my favorite story about that that day in that race was my dad. <clears throat> he's a really calm guy. Chris can kind of attest to that. He's a he's a great parent. I have two great parents, but I saw him running on the way back from church, um, by the way. Oh, cool. Yeah, the same board as you. <laughs> he's still grinding. But yeah, he was all, you know, he was always really calm at these meets and he would always tell me that, you know, I'm proud of you, but never like really showed too much emotion. But when I beat Trey Tez, if you guys are familiar with UofL's facility, there's like a big cardio path around it. So you can kind of like watch the race from like outside of the stadium. But so he was on the back stretch outside of the stadium. So I exit the stadium after I pulled it off. The, it's electric. We're all going crazy. And I see my dad sprinting down the cardio path. And he just starts screaming, like, I'm so proud of you. Like, oh, I do that. And that was, like, a really good – this is a really good feel-good mo moment. And Medley was hugging me. And, yeah, it was, it was a great day. And I would say that's probably the most badass thing I've ever done with the sport of running. So I think I <laughs> – That's awesome. Kind of peaked my junior year of high school, I guess. But it was that, definitely worth it. That's a sweet core moment between you and your dad. That's that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. The uh, I'm curious, that the 800, what, what time did you end up running – yeah, I think I ran 155 got split, and that was my PR as a junior. And then Trey Tez, you ran 
150 on his anchor leg, but his first lap was like 50 point. So he just went out way too fast. I think yeah. if he would have went out a little smarter, he would have probably burned himself. Yeah. I think he kind of thought, I think he kind of thought in the back of his head, like if I catch Thomas, he'll not be able to, to beat me. Um, but yeah, he just went out too fast. That was one thing that was instilled in us in high school and cross and track too, was like how to pace the race correctly. Um, and that's carried on for me to this day. You know, in cross country, he'd always give us like maybe different pace plans than you would think. Um, he'd always have us come off the pace, like so start out more controlled and then finish hard. Um, so obviously paid off for Thomas and uh, in this one. Um, do you want to maybe just uh, say what like your PRs were leaving high school and then we'll touch on college a bit? Yeah, sure. So like I said, in cross country, it was kind of always a struggle. Uh, Ended up running 15.56 my senior year. I ran that at Tom Sawyer Park. Um, and then my 100 in the open was 155. And then my mile got down to 418. Uh, so I made the Dream Mile twice. And the Dream Mile, for you guys that don't know, is they still have the race. It's probably the, the best race of the outdoor season. But they invite the top 16 milers in the state to come together and, and run a mile. So I made that my junior and senior year. And then my senior year, I got fourth place and, and ran 418. So, uh yeah, those are on PRs exiting high school. Thomas, real quick question about high school. I want to go back to Chris Striegel's episode where uh -huh. someone from the news, I forget Striegel who it was, asked them after a meet, you know, how are you going to do at nationals? And he says top five, which again, I, I perceive Striegel as a more subdued guy. So for him to be that uh, confident was, was uh, exciting to hear. What was going through your head when he was sh sharing that? We were just like, dude, what are you doing? Or are you just... Were you eating it up as well? I think I was probably eating it up. Um, yeah, we were in high school and we were, I guess, young and dumb and thought we were on top of the world. And even going back to that NXN trip, I remember Coach Medley and Coach Young, our assistant coach, went out to Oregon with us. And the night before that race, Medley came into our hotel room and basically gave this speech where, you know, all of us got really emotional because we were a tight-knit bunch and knew this was kind of like the last go-around. And we left that meeting after Bedley talked to us, thinking that we were gonna, like going to win the race tomorrow, you know. So we definitely were confident in Coach Medley and his training program, and we were confident in each other. Um, but, yeah, looking back, Chris definitely shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> it's a bad look when you say you're definitely going to get top five and you're going to finish in 14th or whatever. But, but no, I was probably gassing Chris up and telling him to, to even say more than that. <laughs> Yeah, I like kissing the mic. I, I like I like making content, you know. Like that 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 had to be highly viewed video. So yeah. I am I'm fortunate. I often feel lucky. Like nowadays, like with high school running and college running, Instagram's gotten so popular that like these kids are like on a platform and back then that was around a little bit, but yeah, Chris would have been all over Instagram if, if that was around back then. He's saying You would have said I would beaten you blindfolded. Is that what you would have said, Chris? Uh, Shout out to how do you pronounce it? Is it Jakob? Uh, Jakob. Yeah, yeah. Jakob. Yeah, and can mix it Um, Do you want, then, I guess, I, I remember, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, for college, you were looking at UofL UK and Memphis. Is that right? Yeah, so I guess it came down to four schools. So UofL UK, Memphis, and Bellarmine. Uh, and, right. Yeah, so I took visits to all four of those schools. I was actually really close to going to Memphis. I took a visit there with my mom and, um, we really liked it. It was kind of further away, but basically what happened there was they gave me like a s small athletic package and I was supposed to get some academic money too, but that kind of fell through. So it was just too expensive. And then I visited Bellarmine with my dad and coach, coach Barbo was there and we left that visit. And my dad was like, you should go to Bellarmine. Like that's definitely the best fit for you. But basically what happened with U of L was I was a big card chain growing up and the coach there, Joe Walker, he actually came to my house for a house visit sat in my living room and sold me on a vision that I believed in and thought it was going to be this big thing. And, you know, I wanted to go division one at the time. Bellarmine was division two. So I think that kind of weighed on me and decided to, to try out UofL. Nice. And then, uh, I guess you run at UofL for, I guess, was it a year and a half or was it, how long, how long were you there? Yeah. So I ran at UofL for a year and a half. And I would say the college, college transition, I didn't really handle that well. Um, you kind of touched on this in your episode, Chris, but yeah, I was just kind of getting thrown to the the Kenyans and they were great guys. And I still talk to some of them, but 
Yeah. You know, when the coach tells you to go out for a 10 mile steady state run at 530 pace and with the Kenyans and they can run all day and you're just not that good. Uh, it was just, it was really tough mentally. So yeah, after a year and a half, I decided to give coach Bargo a call and I'm blessed that he was able to take that call and still welcome me back, even though I told him no, uh, a year and a half ago. And that's one thing that I think I try to tell our kids that go through Thompson training. And I guess now Trinity is, you know, if you have a list of schools and you decide that you don't want to go to a program, you should still pick up the phone and call the coach and tell them like, thank you for your time. And I'm choosing this school instead. Uh, Cause I think if I didn't do that with coach Bargo, maybe he wouldn't have yeah. taken me back. So said another way, don't burn bridges. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Don't know. And yeah, Bellarmine was great. Yeah. So I went there and kind of when I got there, I felt like I had something to prove because UofL was just, I didn't run well there. And that was just refreshing to kind of get back to it and train really hard. And right away, I kind of got fit and it was indoor track season and I ended up running 412 in the mile and 152 in the 800, um, which was, you know, two of my fastest times ever. And then kind of during that time, I could feel like a nagging pain in my quad. And I was just so focused, though, and, you know, I was trying to win, like, conference championships and stuff like that, qualify for indoor nationals. So I kind of trained through it, and then it just got to the point where I couldn't even hardly walk and ended up being a moral stress fracture. Um, and that pretty much, you know, I still trained with Bellarmine and still was on the team, but after that I was never, like, really the same, same runner. Dude, that's what I like. Stress fracture. Yeah, it was pain. Is that hard to get? Uh I've never heard. Yeah, I've never, I've just never heard of that in a femur. I mean, I've heard it in lower leg stuff, but yeah, I'd say it's more rare than lower leg stuff. But you definitely hear of it. Like Connor Mann's actually had ephemeral stress reaction during his build up to the Olympic trials. Um, yeah, I would say it's more common in female runners. But yeah, I was just training. I wasn't training that much, but I was just doing a lot of intense stuff, and I think my body and like my foundations wasn't strong enough to to handle it. Um, and yeah, I remember like one night at. I think I was living with Chris on Bradley Avenue down by UofL. But, Wesley you Greer know, was our uh, landlord at that house. Boss A. Yeah. champion. Interesting fact, yeah. But I remember one night sitting there, and I was bought. You know, I was in the best shape of my life, and I decided that, like, I took three days off, and then, like, one night I woke up at, like, one in the morning, and I was so obsessed with this leg and how it was, like, if it was getting better or not. So I actually, like, went for a jog around the block at, like, one thirty in the morning to test it out. And I was like, yeah, this is not good. So then I got an MRI, and it showed the fracture. And, yeah. Dang, I didn't that make it. That, was a, that wasn't the kind of neighborhood to run around the block at 1 a.m. Yeah, you're right. But I grew up in the town thing, Chris, so I uh, definitely used to that. I don't know. that Some of our neighbors there were, were worse than any neighbors around Iroquois Park, I'd say, but I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, we actually got robbed. We got robbed of that house before. It was it was bad. Yeah, we got robbed and then we moved out to a different house because we got robbed. So, yep, that's kind of the area we were in. So, <laughs> uh, so after so the injury happened. What your soft and a sophomore or was that junior at that point? Yeah, I think it was my sophomore sophomore year. Um, and I still got back and ran some decent times, but it's never. I never got back to that level, but I'm, I'm blessed. You know, I think Bellarmine was, and Chris mentioned this, it was very similar to the team environment, team environment we had at St. X and, you know, Coach Medley, he's, he's had a huge impact on my life, but, you know, I think Coach Bargo also cared a lot about us. He just wanted me to be happy and the guys on the team were great to hang out with and it was still a good setup, but yeah, I just never really got back from that injury as far as from a performance standpoint. It's interesting, Dude. like the difference. The different coaches we've had, their personalities, um, and I guess I know different coaches kind of do things in a different way. But our high school coach was very like, uh, I wouldn't say he was like a micromanager, maybe, but like he, he he was like an intense guy. I would say like he 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 would like tell us, "I love you guys like my sons," you know, like emotion in that way. But he'd also like wouldn't be afraid to cuss at us if we were being like sopped at, at a moment, you know. Like he it was it was like a tough love, I guess would be. But then. Our coach at Bellarmine, Vargo, he he was like really like hands off kind of guy and like really nice. If you have a bad race, you know it's okay, man. That kind of stuff. So very, you know, di- different ways to coach work in different ways. So yeah, different coaching experiences for sure between those two schools. Yeah, I think back to like Coach Vargo and Coach Medley, and I think the one big thing that 
you know, I think a lot of coaches can easily read, you know, the Jack Daniels book and, and write a good training program. But at the end of the day, if you know your coach cares about you, that goes so much further than I would say the science of training. I kind of, I kind of call it like the art of coaching. And yeah, when you're deep in a race and, you know, Coach Bradley's in the stands and he loves you and he has your back no matter what, that gives you a lot of like freedom to, to go for it and know that like, hey, no matter what happens here in this race, I'm going to be okay, you know. Where would you rank team culture in there? So you mentioned kind of mental knowledge of training and coaching and then the relational aspect with athlete. Where would you rank team culture amidst those two? As far as like the importance of it? Yeah. I would say it's really important, yeah. I mean, I think running is one of those things. The more you do it and the more consistent you are, the better you're going to get at it. So, you know, at a St. X or a Trinity, if you have 50 guys that are there every day wanting to work hard, um, it's a lot easier to train with 50 guys versus like being in a program where you're running by yourself all the time. And um, yeah, I think team culture is huge. And, all, you know, it obviously starts with the coach, but you have to have good senior leadership. And that's one thing that Chris and I, we stepped into a program where as freshmen and sophomores, we didn't necessarily have to lead. We could just kind of follow. Like my freshman year, we had a great senior class. They they won the state meet without any of us freshmen besides one guy, Connor Shariak. He made the top seven, but looking back at that senior class, you know, we had Matt Hillenbrand, who went on to break four minutes in the mile at UK. We had Thomas Mann, Jackson Carnes. So they really paved the way as far as like what's expected in the program and what Coach Melly expects of the guys. And yeah, I think um, team culture is huge. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it makes a huge difference. But so Thomas, after you graduated from Bellarmine, talk a little bit about where you took your running and deciding to go for the marathon. Yeah, so kind of in throughout college and high school, I always, for some reason, in the back of my head, I thought, man, running a marathon at sub six pace, like that just kind of sounds like a badass thing to try. Um, so I knew that, like, after college, I wanted to try to do that as quickly as possible because I didn't really know, like, what, where life would take me. So I started training right after college um, and didn't really train like all that crazy. I think I was hitting like 50 miles a week, but doing some longer runs and some longer tempo runs. And basically I got on Google and started researching like the fastest marathon to, to run and CIM kept popping up. Um, so I think in 2018, I went out there in Sacramento and ran the marathon and yeah, it went really well. It was very, very painful, but I didn't really hit the wall. I had a good race. I ended up running 233. And after that, I kind of thought like, okay, I'm done now. I'm going to like just move on with working and kind of go away from the sport. But it's addicting as you guys know, you know, after you finish that race, you're kind of sore for the next few days. And then you're like, okay, let's go do the next thing. Um, but yeah, the marathon just spoke to me because, you know, I think, and still to this day, like I, I know I probably never will ever run like 152 and 800 again or 412 in the mile. Like that's going to require me going to the track and doing some workouts that I just don't feel like doing. But I think the marathon is something I can still improve at. And that's kind of why I guess I went in that direction after college. And then, um, so I guess, so you debut with a 233, which is crazy for a middle distance focused guy. Yeah. And you then you did that on 50 miles a week ish. Yeah. I, I guess I was, I was working at this company called Crosley. I mean, I was taking that really seriously. I was probably working like 60 hours a week. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I hit some like 16 all weeks, but mostly I was probably averaging like 45 to 50 and I was amazed with how good I felt that day. I actually had to stop and use the bathroom a few times. I ran into some like serious GI issues, but yeah, yeah. Really best time for GI issues, 50 miles a week and stopping. Yeah. But then you hear of Jacob running like 210 and or 211 and you're like, okay, like that's Maybe not that fast, but but for me it was a big deal, and I was really proud of myself. So yeah, it is a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. After that, you ran two thirty five at Grandma's. Um, is that that's right? And then that those are the only. Well, so you ran two thirty five at Grandma's. Yeah, and then I half year, and I remember because I was this was my marathon debut, and I shared a room with you. You paced Mike to his there, so these guys coach Mike Corfidge to his hat PB at Indy in 2019 an hour 21 which is a great time for Mike and then I remember also I'm at this race with you Boston 2021 
and yep. you paced your dad at that race. Do you want to talk about that experience, maybe pacing your dad at, um, at Boston? Yeah, no, that was a great experience. I, um, I was, you know, looking back, that was probably like one of my favorite memories. I mean, it was a magical moment to run Boston with my dad and it was ultimately easy enough for where I could like take the crowd in and like just really enjoy the experience, which is really cool. But yeah, my dad, he, he qualified at the KDF full marathon. Um, and it's a funny story. Like I ran the KDF half that morning. I was coaching my dad and I basically told him like, dad, you're so fit. You're going to beat you easily, but you have to listen to this race plan. And I can't remember like the pace guideline I gave him, but I think it was basically like, no matter what, do not go faster than 740 for the first like 18 miles. And then if you're feeling good after that, you're allowed to like go a little faster. So I finished the half marathon and I have a bike in my truck. So I'm going to get my bike and go meet my dad. And I check my phone and start tracking him. And he's running like 715s, you know? And uh, I'm like, damn, like he's not listening to me at all. This is going to be carnage, you know? So I find him like at mile 11 and I'm basically like, dad, what the hell are you doing, man? Like you didn't listen to the plan. And he's like, I feel great. This is so good, you know? Um, and then sure enough, he, like, at mile 18, he starts, like, having calf cramps. And it got dicey. Like, we had to, like, I was basically, I dropped my bike on the side of the road and started running with them. And I was basically running ahead, getting as much pirate as I could just to try to help with these calf cramps. So long story short, he ended up BQing, which I was really proud of him just because he, like, had turned into, like, a death march. But he was able to be, like, tough enough to finish it out. And then... Uh, yeah, we decided to run Boston together, and yeah, it was a really cool experience. And I even told Jamie Albright another day. I coached his son Aiden out Trinity, and I think like that's a great thing for a son and dad to do is one day run the Boston Marathon together. I'll never forget that moment. I will probably cry when they do that. For the rain, I will. I will also probably cry when they do that. I think Jamie will also cry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. not cry the whole race. I know we're gonna get into this. He's going to need extra electrolytes for, for his tears. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Jamie's the kind of guy you have no doubt how much he loves his children, just with how, how he speaks about them, you know, so highly. Uh, yeah, that would be an emotional time for him, for sure. Yeah, and even, like, doing the Boston Marathon, kind of going back to that with my dad, like, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, like, he was kind of the one, and my mom was also, like, that got me into the sports. I even, like, during the race thought back to, like, me being a fourth grader running on Southern Parkway together with him. And then now we're like doing the Boston Marathon together. And it was just, yeah, it was kind of like full circle. And I think he was really proud of, of doing it with me. And yeah, it, it was, it was amazing. I know we've bounced around the the coaching topic a little bit. You coach your dad, you know, you coach some other people. Um, but what, what was the, the tipping point that got you seriously into coaching? Cause I mean, like all of us, people see, other people who are super serious about running and i mean i have like two danny's sister i'm helping and, and a friend of ours i'm also helping like coach i don't consider myself a coach but like when did that become serious for you yeah so through college and even i guess high school like i never thought like when i'm older i want to be a full-time coach it never like really crossed my mind and when i was at bellarmine i was majoring in business administration and kind of through working at swags and being mentored by swag I, I thought like one day i'll get like account an account management job or some type of like sales role because i enjoy talking to people and, and trying to help solve their problems so anyways i landed at this local company called crosley and that was going really well but <clears throat> what was happening was i was out of college working like an eight to five job bailey was still finishing up at L, so i would get home to my apartment living with myself and basically from like 5 to 10 p.m i had nothing going on it was kind of depressing so one day at Crosley, it was like one of the first few weeks I was there, My the president of the company called me into his office and I was like, oh man, like I wonder what he wants, you know, I thought I was in trouble. But he just kind of went into saying like, hey, on your resume, I, you know, obviously saw that you were a collegiate athlete, had a successful high school career. Long story short, my daughter runs for Sacred Heart Model School, which is a local grade school here in Mobile. They're kind of wanting some help with cross country. They already have like three or four coaches, but I think you'd be great. They actually have this young boy who's a fifth grader. His name is Roman. Um, you should come out and meet them and just run with them. And, um, so, yeah, long story short, I kind of just went, not thinking too much of it. I, I was just trying to, like, I guess impress my boss. But I, I showed up to practice and met this kid named Roman, and we went for, like, a four-mile run at, like, seven flat pace, and I was sort of amazed that he could do that as a fifth grader. Um, 
So anyways, I kind of kept meeting him and basically turned into like his full-time trainer or coach. And then I was going to meets and watching him win races and people would see me out at meets and kind of, I guess, thought like, oh, Thomas is kind of in the coaching game. And then before I knew it, I was meeting like 20 to 25 middle school kids twice a week at Seneca Park. So I guess that kind of is how I got introduced to it. And then around the time COVID hit, Jacob had Thompson training kind of going along. So he, he kind of had his first like five athletes and I had my 25 like middle school kids that were really, really good. And one day we were on the phone and he was kind of telling me about what he was doing. And I just kind of said like, Hey Jacob, like I can see that this is going to keep growing. I would love to come on and help you and bring these 25 kids over to Thompson training and like, come on, see where this goes. So that's kind of how Thompson training and I kind of got going together and um, I actually still coach that kid named Roman. He's a junior in high school. He just ran 416 in the mile. Well, um, so I guess if it wasn't for him and him trusting me and his parents trusting me, I probably would not, I probably would never have gotten into coaching. It's funny you and Jacob have a similar intro to coaching because Jacob just had a kid reach out to him over COVID and that, that started it. You know, he wasn't planning on starting business or anything. Um, and then you had Roman and, you know, um, are having success with him. And Jimmy obviously had a successful high school career and runs D1 now, and Roman's going to run D1, surely. Um, do you want to talk about, I think this would be interesting to the listeners, um, just about your leap of faith when you quit your job at Crosley to do Thompson training full-time? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I was at Crosley. I was there for like six or seven years. I was kind of moving my way up in the company, and I guess I was enjoying it. I worked for for some amazing people and really enjoyed my colleagues but in the back of my head you know working eight to five and looking at a spreadsheet all day was just something I wasn't like that passionate about and at the time I guess I was coaching I guess 30 to 35 athletes so I was kind of you know having a nice side gig but I just felt like hey if I can kind of like remove Crosley from the equation and put you know 50 60 hours a week into Thompson training like it might grow into something more Um, so I remember calling Jacob well first I went home and talked to Bailey um, and, and yeah, I mean, Bailey, she, I'm very lucky to be married to her. She is a runner herself and kind of understood like what my passion was. And she said like, yeah, like if you want to do it, go for it. So I called Jacob and, and told him like, Hey man, I'm going to quit Crosley and do this full time and let's see what happens. And Jacob's a really responsible businessman and he's a very calculated thinker. So he kind of told me like, dude, you're an idiot. I don't, think that's a good idea at all like we're not big enough yet but I basically told him like I'm just gonna do it man like it'll be okay and uh yeah that's kind of how it all happened and it was hard leaving Crosley just because I like I said I cared about the people that I worked with but you know you always hear podcasts or whatever about like chasing your passion and I was just trying to trying to do that and it was a scary move but looking back it was it was definitely the right one was there a move inspired by you all were taking on so many runners that you needed to have more time to devote to Thompson training? Or was it that, hey, let's grow this thing, 10x, and I'm going to get all time? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of both. Um, It was getting pretty hectic. I mean, I would get off work at Crosley and have like 50 text messages from high school kids and parents like asking questions. And that might have bled into like my time at Crosley a little bit. I was like, you know, my lunch hours, like trying to like write training and, and answer these text messages. So it definitely was big enough where I could like live off of it. And, um, but yeah, I just also felt like, Hey, like if I can be the person in Louisville, like boots on the ground, helping Jacob full time, I just felt like it had so much potential. Um, so I guess a little bit of both, but, but yeah, at the end, at the end of Crosley, it was getting very, very difficult to balance both. And I was just kind of miserable trying to like, figure out like what to do you know and in and in hindsight thomas did did you like the timing of the jump or would you have done it sooner knowing what you know now no i think it was perfect timing yes i think you know i think i can't remember really how long i was with thompson training and crosley but i think it was probably close to a year year and a half so we got it big enough where it wasn't like necessarily a scary jump and again i had bailey kind of supporting me and um i think if i would have done it sooner it might have would have been more scary, but I think it was the right time, yeah, to answer your question. Yeah. There's something to be said about um, – I, I had a similar situation. I was at, at U of L uh, studying business, and I had my landscaping business, and I had to choose. I had to make a fine 
choice. I was like either school or business and one or the other, it was not going to coexist. And there's something to be said about devoting all of your energy to one thing. Um, and it obviously paid off for you and it paid off for me as well. I chose my business and I'm glad I made that decision. But, um, when you're able to devote all your energy and time to something, especially something that you're passionate about, it's honestly, I think in this day and age, I've told Chess this a lot. I think it's pretty hard for you not to be successful. So many people are distracted and in business and stuff. And I think it's fairly easy to be successful um, in this day and age. A lot of people have a differing opinion in that. But I think if you, if you put something, if you put your mind to something that you're passionate to, obviously like you and Jacob have done, I mean, sky's the limit of what you can do with it. Yeah, passion is a lot of advantage. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously, I, I'm very lucky that Jacob was willing to bring me on full time, and you know, I think I've made an impact with Thompson Training, but ultimately, his name's on it. And you know, if you look at Jacob's career, he was one of the fastest high school kids in Kentucky, and has done great things at the professional level and collegiate level. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm forever fortunate that he was willing to to bring me on. But but yeah, Scotty, I I agree with you 100. percent so Thomas, talk, talk about Thompson Train today. I mean, as we get into more Thompson training, you know, what's the age age ranges of athletes you coach? What do the setups look like for for those who aren't familiar with Thompson training? Yeah, so basically we coach kids kind of starting like in the third grade. So we have a third to eighth grade program. We kind of call it like our grassroots program, where Bailey and I and also Jamie uh, meet these kids twice a week. We put them through some like in-person sessions. We even travel around and do some like local indoor meets or outdoor meets and cross-country races. So that's one that's one avenue of Thompson training. And then I guess the biggest thing that we do is we coach high school kids, and a lot of that's virtual. So we'll uh, a random high school kid might find us on Instagram, or the parents might find our website, and they're just looking for something different. So we we coach probably 120 high school kids virtually, um, and then. One big thing that we're trying to continue to grow is our adult uh, clientele. So right now we probably coach 15 to 20 adults. Um, but I think that's one area where we could, you know, kind of keep keep growing. But, yeah, I think those three things kind of sum up Thompson training. Um, so that's kind of how it works. Awesome. So I just need to wait three more years before Jocelyn, who's entering kindergarten, can can be coached by you and, and Jamie and Bailey. Yeah, I think we have a few second graders out there, but... Um, yeah, that's a lot of fun. Just, you know, we get kids that are brand new to it and get them out there and start teaching them and we try to make it fun and they really enjoy it. So, yeah. I was going to ask, uh, why, why do you also coach high school team sport as well? Cause it, I know you're busy doing, you know, the personal training and, you know, coaching for these kids that don't have school affiliation with you, but you also have chosen to coach at St. Exum and now, and now you coach at Trinity. Um, what, why do you um, choose to do that? Yeah, so basically the Trinity thing that happened about a year ago, um, and I'm always at these meets watching our high school kids race, but it's more like I'm just there watching the individual compete. So in the back of my head, I always you know thought back to like our days at St. X and how that was a lot of fun being on a team and seeing, it, seeing each other every day. So I always thought like, hey, if the right opportunity ever comes across, I'd maybe be willing to come on and help out with the school program. And basically with the Trinity thing, Scott Holstein who's the head coach at Trinity, reached out to me uh, last winter and or last October and just said like, hey, can you meet me out for some beers and pizza? So I went and met Scott and at the time I didn't know him that well, but yeah, he basically just went in and we started talking like training philosophies and we kind of realized like, hey, that kind of lines up and the program was... You know, Trinity's cross country is a rich pro. The history is a rich history. They've had a lot of success, but they were struggling a little bit. Uh, they went on to finish 11th last, last fall. So he kind of thought, like, hey, it's a great time to maybe bring in some fresh life. And he basically said, like, would you be willing to come on and help with the programming of the training and and basically help us out? And that was, you know, when I think back to my life and just like my career path, that was one of the few times where I literally did not know what the right decision was. Uh, it was, you know, I'm a Sanex guy or I was a Sanex guy and yeah, I mean, you know, it's a rivalry. And so basically I left that meeting, not knowing what to do, but it was appealing to me cause I, I wanted to make them better. Um, so yeah, basically what I did was I left that meeting and I, 
basically got home and formed like a list of like 12 people from St. X that I needed to call and talk to them about because it was really important to me that they understood why I was doing it. Um, so yeah, I called Chris, I called Max Mudd, I called Zach Bevan and basically said like, Hey, you know, this opportunity has been presented to me. I'm passionate about helping young people and helping, you know, I would love to help Trinity kind of get back to the top of the mountain. What are your thoughts? And all of them basically said like, dude, you'd crush it. We support you go do it. And then I called coach Medley and kind of explained to him what I was thinking about doing. And he, he didn't, he doesn't coach the anymore. And I think this whole decision would have been a lot different if he was still the coach of St. X, but he yeah. told me like, yeah, he told me like, Thomas, in life, sometimes you have to do the scary thing and you, you know, you're ready for this. You can always just try it out for six months. If you hate it, you can always quit. So I basically did it and I love it. Yeah. I mean, the best part of my day is three o'clock when I have to go to Trinity and see those kids. They work so hard and coaching them has made me a better coach and yeah, I, uh, I'm very fortunate that Scott Holstenack asked me to, to come help out and in return, like me, Holstenack and Campbell, like we've become best friends and we really work hard at raising the standard of the program. And yeah, we're really proud of what we're building together. What, what, what'd you all finish in 22 at state and what'd you finish in 23? So you weren't helping out in 22 and then in 23 you came on. So t- tell us the, the places of those two meets. Yeah, so in 2022, they finished 11th at the state meet. It was their worst finish ever. Um, and then in 2023, we actually won the state championship, and that was in October. And basically what happened was, I mean, I looked into like their roster and stuff before I took the job, and they had a lot of freshmen that were brand new to the sport that they had to rely on at the varsity level in 2022. So I kind of knew, like, hey, like these guys can be a lot better. And I, I guess I thought, like, in I'm a very competitive person, and I kind of had to tell myself before I took the job, like, hey, if you get fourth or fifth place, like that's better than 11th. Like, you don't need to win year one. But, yeah, they just took to the training really well. They they really, really worked hard, and we ended up winning. And, and yeah, we were undefeated this year against Kentucky teams. We never lost to a Kentucky school, and they just dominated, and it was a lot of fun. What would you say your philosophy is coaching? Like, do you use Jack Daniels running formula? Do you use the... Norwegian like kind of threshold method or is it a mix of things what how do you how do you formulate your training plan for people yeah I guess to like kind of explain like the basics of it so we work in 20-day cycles uh so we we work in 20-day cycles and each 20-day cycle includes a little bit of everything year-round so we're doing speed work year-round we're doing threshold running we're doing long runs we're doing hill repeats and then through research we've kind of have come to understand that your body it takes about 20 days for your body to kind of adapt to new stress levels. So then every fourth week after each cycle, we take a down week and that just kind of allows your body to absorb the work. And we just kind of keep building, building, building. And Jack Daniels has this quote. I can't remember it um, to the T, but basically the gist of it is like, do the least amount of work possible for the best possible result. So I think a lot of like high school coaches and, and coaches in general, like they have their guys, run 70 to 80 miles a week when you can do 50 and get the same if not better result so I really try to think of it as like consistency over everything so if I can keep these kids healthy for 12 months 24 months 36 months that's going to get them to be like their best possible self um and yeah like kind of growing up like going back to coach Medley like he has had a he's had a huge influence on my coaching career he was a Jack Daniels guy and then Brian Lilly who coached Jacob and got him really good in high school he was also a Jack Daniels guy. So I guess, yeah, I guess, you know, if I had to point to one coach that's famous that has kind of influenced me the most, it would be Jack Daniels. But, you know, I always try to donate, designate like five to 10 hours each week of like listening to podcasts and reading like Let's Run and, and try to come up with new ideas. Uh, and if I like an idea, I'll try it and see how it works. Tell us a little more about the double T method. Yeah, so... Basically, Chris and Trinity were, like, the two guinea pigs that I tried it out on. Um, but same thing, like, if you get on Lestron or YouTube and, like, watch, the you know, interviews the, over the past two years of, like, runners running really well, they've all talked about double threshold and, like, how it's worked for them. So it's kind of, like, new thing on the block. And with Trinity, you know, they were a team that was young. We needed them to get better quickly so we could do well. So I just felt like double threshold, you know, say if we do threshold session on a Monday, 
and didn't split it up into two sessions, they probably would only have gotten like four miles worth of work. But with double T, you can split it up and do like three miles in the morning, three miles in the evening. So instead of four miles of threshold work on a Monday, you're getting six miles of threshold work. So that's one thing. You're, you're able to do more volume in a safe manner. And then secondly, with Trinity, it's a competitive environment. There's 25 guys trying to make the top seven. So a lot of times with threshold work, you know, you give them these threshold paces and then they kind of ignore it and they just like start hammering the workout. It's not really a threshold workout because they're kind of getting competitive with one another. So I was, we were able to kind of meet them in the morning and say like, here's the threshold workout for this morning. Don't go too fast because you have another threshold workout this afternoon, you know, so they kind of obeyed the paces better. Um, so that's kind of the reason we try to out with Trinity. And then also there's something to be said about like showing up to a meet and being able to tell those guys like, guys, you're doing double threshold workouts like no other team's doing that in the state of Kentucky you know like you're you're ready to go and then for Chris like I just knew that with living with him in college and and being around him so much he loves doing like crazy stuff I guess like he he always feels better if he's doing you know in college he was doing 120 miles a week running his best you know so I knew Chris would respond well if we were able to put in a day of of the week where he did you know close to 16 miles worth of volume and two big threshold sessions and then the rest of Chris's week we just kind of kept it easy and then we added some workouts to the long run but with Chris I just with Chris I just felt like you know he's working a lot he's a working adult so if we can kind of take advantage of one day during the week of like stressing the system twice and then hitting it again on the long run it just worked well with his schedule so I feel like we have not touched on the difference between easy running tempos threshold via two max work can you yeah. kind of explain what those are and how they come in handy in the training block? We have a lot of listeners that are getting into running or new to this type of training. Yeah. And I don't think we've really even touched on it on this pod. No, we haven't. So I feel like Thomas, you'd be as good as anyone to explain this to our listeners. Yeah. So the way I view threshold running and there's a few different ways you can do it, but basically it improves your ability to clear lactate. So like late in a race with the Trinity guys, like if they hit two miles in a good spot, like chances are they're going to have enough endurance to close the 5K out. So I'm really big on threshold running, especially for high school kids. But yeah, kind of going back to the 20-day cycle, including a little bit of everything. So I kind of view training as a spectrum. So if you look at like a straight line across a sheet of paper, on the right-hand side, you're going to have like steady state, tempo, threshold, kind of like the long, slow stuff. And on the left hand of the side of the spectrum, you're going to have like sprint works, like 150s, 200 mile pace, that kind of stuff. And adults, high school kids, middle school kids, if they just live on opposite sides of the spectrum and never like really go to the middle, they're going to get really, really good just doing the basic type stuff like that. So we'll do a lot of like 3x2K at steady state and follow it up with like 5x150 all out. And that's kind of like a typical workout that we would do. And then in the middle of the spectrum, you kind of get into like more race specific stuff. So like hard VO2 sessions reps at like 5k pace um and yeah like each 20 days we do maybe do like one or two sessions in the middle of the spectrum but i think you should not live in the middle of the spectrum that's like a really scary place to live you should really hang out on the outside of the spectrum and like a kid that's a freshman that's newer to the sport he could get really good never even hitting a vo2 session in my opinion you could just do a ton of threshold tempo steady state stuff and then hit the sprint stuff and and be really really good is that answer your question is that something you found strategy-wise through your experience as a coach, or is that a Jack Daniels concept that you learned? Yeah, I would say like kind of my personal, um, just kind of going through the sport and learning more. Jack Daniels does kind of follow that same principle. Mike Smith from NAU, um, who's like one of the best college coaches in the country, he always talks about the spectrum and kind of like how you don't want to hang out in the middle of the spectrum. You want to kind of like do the opposite sides of it. And then as the season progresses, or like say if Chris is gearing up for a 5K, like maybe two weeks out, you could hit like a hard VO2 session. But again, I think avoiding that as much as possible, especially with high school kids, you know, they're racing every single weekend for a lot of them. And that's a lot of the VO2 work, you know, that's kind of like a VO2 workout in disguise. So I think a lot of times yeah. kids get in trouble if they start pounding VO2 sessions, you know, they should just kind of focus on the basics. Good point. Do you have they these kids wearing anyways? But that's right. Do, do you have these kids wearing uh, Hari monitors? Because you're talking about heart rate data-ish on 
paces. Yeah, some of them, some of them do have like fancy Garmin watches with a heart rate monitor, but we don't really look at heart rate too much just because um, sometimes it's not accurate, and it all depends on your max heart rate. And we don't have like the testing available to like figure out what their actual max heart rate is. So we just use like the Jack Daniels B dot chart and calculate the paces that way. So yeah, basically threshold pace for me is. 85 to 88% of your VO2 max. So that's like a common thing that we do. Um, steady state works like 80% of your VO2 max. So we kind of base it all on percentages. I feel like if you're, if you got a bunch of kids, like say 50 kids at a track, like you know which kids are probably going at what you tell them to do. You can tell after a 400 and they come back, if they're laying on the track, you know that they probably didn't just go tempo. They're probably a little, a little harder. Yeah. And I, that's what, you know, I always try to explain the, like, what's the purpose of today's workout? You know, I always try to explain that so they understand, like, hey, I'm not just making this stuff up. Like, you need to follow this this plan for today. And the other day at the track, actually, I gave the group, I think we were doing, like, 3 by 2 k at, like, steady state pace, so not very fast. But they did a 400, and it was too fast. I literally, like, told them to stop, and we had to restart the workout. So, I mean, I... I try to like get them to follow the the data and the science as much as possible because that's how you get that's how you get good. You know, you can't just go out there and rip all the time. You'll get injured. Yeah, um, Scotty, you got you got some uh, rapid fire questions for our, for our boy Thomas here. Yeah, I do. I hope you're nervous. You ready, Thomas? <laughs> I'm liar. I'm so ready. Just for for warning here what comes these questions are completely random some are about running some are not and you're not allowed to elaborate until the right, last get yeah, a quick answer just quick as quick as you can dp i need a two-minute timer gotcha now that's it it really matters all right go <laughs> they're different they're different questions for everyone we're going yeah we're going all right coffee or tea coffee night owl or morning person uh, morning person. Trail or road running? Road running. Favorite race shoe? Paper black. Favorite Easy. training shoe? Uh, Nike Invincible Max. Favorite zoo animal? <laughs> uh, this might get me in trouble with t- this might get me in trouble with tiger. Ooh. Oh, spicy or sweet? Spicy. Cry or laugh? Laugh. Taylor Swift or Travis Kelsey? Taylor Swift for sure. She can do a lot better than Travis Kelsey. <laughs> that's that's the right answer to that question. Have you ever been punched in the face? No. What is your favorite fruit? Pineapple. Are you a leader or a follower? I would say leader. Where will you be in three years? This is not the last question. Three years. Watching Bailey, my wife, at the Olympic trial marathons. Whoa. Let go. go. Whoa. What's your favorite thing about coach? Uh, just helping kids realize they can be much better than they ever thought and just helping them through the, the journey of life. Nice. Men of order. Yeah. That was good, Scotty. That was a good list. Good. It comes different every time. Um, you guys got anything, any other questions here for Big Thomas before we wrap up? What are we trying for now? Okay. Oh, yeah. What's next, Thomas, for you for running? I guess the next immediate thing is the Anthem 5K. So Jacob actually, we have a group chat. He set the over-under at 1546. I need to go faster than that. Um, so I'll do the Anthem 5K and then probably get ready for the KDF half, hopefully. Run a good half marathon. And then I'm kind of eyeing CIM a little bit if everything's going well. So Ooh, back in how those marathon same. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I'm excited. All right. What are you going for at KDF half? Um, I'm still kind of getting back into shape, so I took kind of some time off, just kind of was lazy, focused on coaching, but I've been training for the past eight weeks, so I would think that I could get into, like, 111 in shape by then, hopefully, 112. That's your PR. PR? I think it's 111 high. It's like 111.40. Yep. Chris actually ran, like, 10 seconds faster than me that, that Yeah, we ran together, man. 
Yeah, so awesome. Tell us about the thing that you're drinking right now. Uh, sparkling water. What was the other thing, though? <laughs> L-carnitine. Um, it's totally totally legal, but I do not suggest this for high school kids or anything like that. Um, I'm about 20 pounds too heavy right now, and yeah, apparently it helps you lose weight, so I'm, I'm trying it out. But yeah, Tom, I wouldn't like suggest going to do it. Thomas is a big uh, Heineken 0.0 guy. Uh, he's, he likes the non-alcoholic beers, so... Yeah, anyone needs a oh yeah, Thomas or Scotty's drinking an athletic brew, so another good non-alcoholic. So yeah, if you yeah, need, I've prepared gone sober for the marathon. I like That's that idea. I, I prefer the real stuff, but you know, sometimes during the week you gotta you gotta stay focused. Scotty, I'm seeing what you're doing, and I'm liking it. You liking it, Streak? Yeah, I like that. Slash two thirty five Boston. Um, all right, let's get weird. We should probably sign out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to tangent. But guys, thank you for having me. You guys are crushing it, and it's been fun. And uh, yeah, keep up the great work. This is, this is great for your listeners to learn. And you guys are awesome. Yeah, that was, a, that was a very, well, it, you know, I even learned some tidbits that um, I hadn't asked you before um, about your running and stuff. But then I think it was just helpful from the training side and coaching side too. And I think a lot of people were curious about how you coach and maybe why you coach too. So this is a, this is going to be a good one. I think that people are going to be excited when they see uh, your name on, on the post. So this is a, yeah, that was a, that was a great episode. Um, and I, I guess I'll just throw into, uh, we do have a newsletter attached, uh, the link in the description of um, this episode. Uh, Big Danny is the main man on that. So um, it posts, it's a, a link a thought and an image uh, just every week, just a quick read. Um, so if you want that in your email, just click the link and put your email in and Danny will fire that off to you guys. Um, we also have a YouTube. We post really goofy shorts on there every week, just called Life in Stride. Um, if you want to watch any of those, um, you can uh, go ahead and do that and just don't make fun of us too much. Uh, but they are they are pretty funny, some of them, and they, they are good. So anyway, um, Thomas, thanks, man. Love you unconditionally. Um, uh, boys, it was a great one, and uh, peace out. Peace, see you guys. Thanks, guys. See you all. Bye. Peace, man.